Welcome, and thank you for listening to the podcast that tells the stories of the people who make the automotive and motorsport industries the excitement-generating, pulse-raising, and awe-inspiring meccas we experience daily. In today's episode, we ask, is fitting in, moulding to the norm, the right thing to do to survive? Are schools creating suitable environments for young kids and teaching them the lessons they need to learn for life outside the system? And how do you express yourself? And if you aren't normal or refuse to fit in, how do you go about that? Well, today's guest might just have the answer for you. And if you want to know how he can help you understand the situation you and the young people in your life find yourselves in, then here is what to come. So I was a bit of a loner, a bit introvert. Mm. You know, I didn't really know my identity. I wasn't particularly amazing at any sports. First car I got was this amazing Golf GTI Cabriolet. And that, that gave me an identity. Oh, yeah, Arash the car man. So that's, that was it. It was just an experiment. That's, that's what I do. I experiment with lots of different businesses and, and products and ideas. That's, that's, you know, some of them work, some of them don't. So I gave it a go and uh, it was really hard. <laughs> it, it, it's a massive juggling act. But predominantly, I would say at this level, it's all about cash flow. You know, if you don't have that massive chunk to throw at it and get something at the end of it, ultimately the company will die. So, so why would I buy an Arash car? You won't. <laughs> they've got, they've got to be out of their mind to own one of them. Why would they buy one of them instead of, you know, Ferrari or Aston Martin or Lamborghini or Rolls Royce? They've got to be mental. And then you, you speak to that person, you realise that that person either connected with the company or liked what we were doing or just wants to be completely different. Then they're things that aren't disposed of. They they just live they outlive us all. They are objects of art and engineering. That they're not disposable cars, so they'll always be around. Headspace is now becoming more critical than ever. In the past, if you wanted to work on your body, you'd go to the gym, and if you wanted to work on your brain, there was therapy. But recently, other options are becoming increasingly more popular and available, thanks to volunteers and supporters and companies like Calm. I'll be the first to admit that having access to the privilege and being able to afford treatment has been some of the best working out I could have ever done. So thank you for Tacona, the brand set on taking mental health conversation and breaking the taboo in the automotive industry and helping Calm, the campaign against living miserably, by creating a Christmas raffle. By entering this Christmas raffle, it gives you the opportunity to win amazing prizes from all corners of the automotive world, from clothing, coffee, and art, to a ride in a Porsche 959 and a private tour of Concorde. So if this sounds like something you want to get involved with, to enter and win these fantastic prizes, you must head over to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Dakota Automotive and give just five or more pounds to a tremendous cause. So, join me by giving and helping Calm continue their work with suicide and mental illness. Plus, win your share of 15 and more amazing prizes as a thank you for your generosity and support. The links will be in the show notes below. And if you have any questions, feel free to DM me or to Kona. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to help. Now, back to the episode. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. 
Arash, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm great. Thanks, Harry. Yeah, I know we've had a little chat on the way in. Um, all good. It's, what is it, Thursday morning? Thursday morning, ready to go. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. what, tell me, what would I need to know about you looking back to understand what made you the man you are today? Oh, good question. Um, I think it was a really helpful, caring, fun parents that they were extremely hardworking. Don't get me wrong. We didn't see too much of them in the early days when they were growing their businesses. And mum was a nurse and then uh, she worked with my dad and dad ran a medical consumables company. Um, and, you know, he was in and out. It was very much like me and my brother, I suppose. He was he was very active and, you know, loaded lorries, visit customers, do the trips. He was, he was very much in uh, in his world of being entrepreneurial so i think the the, the parents being very entrepreneurial and mum was kind of stable management and dad was the entrepreneurial character and he was an engineer so we got to play with lots of engineering things um an early date uh so understanding physics and electronics was always very interesting and he'd bring things home that you could play with but i always took them apart so I do remember he brought a, a toy toy car and brought it and he put on his own little siren system and switch and I used to play with it, but I took it apart to see how it worked. <laughs> Cameras, everything, whatever he'd give me, I would take it apart and you'd be a bit disappointed that I was taking things apart, but it got to the point where things like Lego yeah. um, and, and Airfix model kits and Tamiar model kits, and you know, I still have them in my offices over here, a lot of model cars. Uh, that that's kind of what what gets got me to uh, understand engineering and be inquisitive uh, and foolish with en- engineering and stuff. And then cars came uh, a little bit later when I got this fantastic um, uh, first car. So I was a bit of a loner, a bit introvert. Mm. You know, I didn't really know my identity. I wasn't particularly amazing at any sports. Um, I would be resilient and play sports like tennis. I played a lot of tennis and hockey and um, football play i was i was just average but i was consistent um and then uh the first car i got was this amazing golf gti cabriolet that they couldn't sell the car dealership couldn't sell because red and it was a little bit expensive and you know for a 17 18 year old it was a little bit a bit too much but my my father was very kind and, and bought it for me and that, that gave me an identity of oh yeah Irish the car man you yeah. know he likes cars and it was had this electric roof and it was eight valve four cylinder very zippy engine very lightweight fantastic build quality red I polished it every day learned how to clean it keep it tip top form people loved it you know it always made a smile on people's faces driving around I felt cool uh, and I think that's what spurred it on. But then I had to go into an entrepreneurial life where I was like working and working for the start off as a mobile phone guy selling mobile phones and then uh, sold baby care products. I tried to get in banking, but I didn't get in. And that was it. I was just basically a sales guy yeah, going around selling stuff to all the hospitals in the United Kingdom and, you know, dealing with suppliers and negotiating things and winning contracts and Building factories uh, was the next thing, and then sold that first business for the family with the family. You know, me, mum, dad, 
very judgmental and selling that first business. Dad wants to retire, mum wants to retire. They didn't want me to take it on and take it over. I was far too young. Yeah. I was 24. Yeah. And then that was it. So I had this no compete for three years. Actually, my no compete was for two years because they thought I was absolutely useless. So then <laughs> I was just, just a kid. So I had the two year no compete and I just set up a car company. That was in 1999, 2000, 2001. That's it. 1999, I just had a dabble. So yeah, I just set up a company. Yeah. And so what, what, what was it like going from having no car and no identity to having a car and identity at school? And what did it give you? And what was the sense of from your peers and the people around you that what, what changed there? You just had an identity and you just had a group of people that kind of like cars you could relate to. And you weren't just, you know, you know when you go to a room and everyone looks doesn't look at you or you go to an event and no one cares, you know, it's not a low five. Or, or you know, go to the gym, you're training, and it's like you know, in the locker room, you get changed. And like, fine. Then you meet someone who's like, oh yeah, I'd like to train with you, or yeah, I'd like to do this. Yeah, it's good. And you build up a relationship, and you kind of work. Oh, hang on, we've got the same issues, we've got the same same wants, and we like, oh, let's, you know, you feel a sense of comfort and community and relate relate relatability, and you kind of it's trust starts happening, doesn't it? And I think in those days, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, Archie's into cars. I didn't think that from him. I thought he was the boring guy. He was a bit average at everything. Um, and then I had this really cool car. Um, and, uh, you know, I just loved it and cherished it and started learning about driving and engineering. And, you know, started making sense of the Lego I was building. You know, peer pressure was 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 big then, as it is for kids today. and also fitting in oh we talked about yesterday in the, in the workshop it's like you know you look back and think ah fitting in completely irrelevant yeah. but it's the, at the moment and at that moment every day is very hard and if you don't fit in or uh you know you don't don't have a, a troop around you you have some your your troop mm. um then it can give you some sort of psychological Sort of worries and I feel it in society. I feel it with my kids today. They they have the same sort of um, issues with trying to fit in. So you know, one of my sons is collecting ants now. So like, why do you buy? Why are you collecting ants? Oh, because it's a crazy school Pokemon cards. Yeah, and they got they got bored of it quite quickly. They're into it. They like the value thing and trading. It's like it's good. It's like learning about values and money and. Um, then they're into Roblox and computer games and they talk to each other. So that sort of thing seems to consistently be there. And I think that was what um, triggered me into the car world. And, you know, I look back and think, God, I shouldn't really have done that, Harry. I should have just, like, not gone near cars and just been really sensible and built for the masses that people would really, really, really need. Because you know, ultimately, sports car isn't something that everybody needs. Uh, and it's a very, very difficult market sector to be in. So I probably would have built a van or something. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing me, I would have been very practical. Oh. Yeah, it's only really practical and you know, serves the masses. And I, But I didn't do that because I knew I was working in the medical pharmaceutical world and I was serving millions of people anyway. So... As an employee, as you know, as a, as a company 
shareholder, if you like. Um, so I was doing my bit, and then the car stuff turned into just just a nice hobby. But I was always tinkering, uh, and you know, building stuff and making scale models, and you know, just doing things. But in two thousand and one, I had the snow compete for two two years. Uh, so I can't remember what happened i think um yeah i made the white le mans car the porsche gt1 sort of evolution replica car i made and porsche didn't like me doing that so they sort of said you can't do this so i just made one and that was it sits in reception downstairs and uh said well i can't compete in the medical pharmaceutical sector I don't really want to get into property development. We had enough properties and things and factories sure. and real estate those days. Uh, I just, you know, just do something for a bit of a laugh um, and enjoyment, which was when I made GTS. We did that in Old Buckingham Airfield in Norfolk. Brilliant site, had a runway and, you know, some, some plots that we were building bodies in one place and chassis. We had a group of people. But, you know, we kind of went bust because it was just so expensive running all these people with no income. So the gestation time of building a car to uh, delivering something that people actually buy and spend the money, it just took forever. And it was, we were burning through so much cash. Um, we, don't, we didn't go bust in the end. We just had to you know, slow it down and close it down and then move to a small facility in Cambridgeshire next to the new sort of medical pharmaceutical company. So I had to have two jobs. I was running two companies at that time, running the car company. As so it was tri trickling away. We did a few shows, and then we licensed it out to a group of investors who then sold it on to Janetta, and then I got my car company back. Uh, so I made AF10. So we did GTS, sold a few of those, licensed out that car, made 70 of those through the licensing. That finished. Janetta stopped that. And then I just went on to do AF10 um, just as a hypercar project. We didn't really want to do a hypercar. We just want to stay in the sports car world. But sports car world is really hard competing with all the Hornets nest of 100 to 250,000 pound market Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Aston Martin, all that sort of stuff. Well, what made you sort of like go and start the car company in the first place? Was it, was it just the love of cars that took you took a gestation period out of working and you thought, well, I like cars, I want to do something with that? Or I mean, what, what kind of sparked the creativity to go, I want to now start doing and creating my own cars? I was a racing driver for a bit. Okay. I tried racing. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I tried doing racing. So I joined the Porsche 924 Racing Championship. I was all right, you know. I sort of hovered at the back for the first year. And the second year, I sort of hovered a bit closer near middle, 14th, about 13th. Mm. Found it very uncomfortable. It wasn't for me. And then I was like, oh, what do you do next? Can you get into Formula One? Uh, GT racing sounds very expensive. Sounds like a lot of talent required there. I don't think you've got the talent, son. So I thought, oh, I'll just, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll run a car, I'll make a car company. I'll make a sports car. Sounds great. Uh, and it will, you know, live on and it'll be, you know, you leave a, leave a bit of history when, you, when you're not around and you'll yeah. create jobs and you'll make stuff and people will like it. 
So that's, that was it. It was just an experiment. That's, that's what I do. I experiment with lots of different businesses and, and products and ideas. That's, that's, you know, some of them work, some of them don't. So I gave it a go. And uh, it was really hard. <laughs> it was so hard because it's such an emotional product. So your staff are a bit whingy if they don't get it the way they want it. Um, uh, and, you know, they always want paying more because they think you're dependent on them for the success. And it's kind of, well, no, you need to be all working together so the company can be successful. So it was very hard to get that bit right. And if you don't have customers, it will collapse. Essentially what it did. Um, and, um, yeah, the, the racing just seemed like a, a wonderful, selfish hobby. Uh, and you'd have to be damn good. Like Jensen Button at the time I used to, you know, see him at yeah. various events and go, how come he's so good? Well, he's actually, he's very talented. He's really got the film star looks and everything else to go with it. Very supportive father. And he did it. And, you know, the broad thing. Yeah, and you know, look at him today. He's got a sports car company now. He's got Radford, so he did the right path of making the money, getting the reputation, getting the. And now he's got a sports car company. Okay, yes, it's close to Lotus. That's sensible. It's very hard to engineer a car. Um, so yeah, the the these are the characters I was looking at. Going, oh, can I be like that? No, you can't. You're going to have to do what you do. So my history is completely skew with you know, uh, healthcare and, um, cars are very opposite, but, uh, I can't even do healthcare now. It's kind of, it's just, it's just really focused on, on, on trying to make your hobby into a business. And, you know, I'll be open. I'll say that, you know, I'm, I'm still making the hobby, uh, sustainable. Yeah. And it's getting even harder because everything's going electric. You mentioned Jensen Button taking the right path into into where he is now, but what is I mean, what is the right path for yourselves? Do you, if you, do you guys have have a plan, or is it just to create the best thing you can with what you've got? Yeah, that's it. That, I don't think it's practical to say here's a business plan because it will be different by the end of the year for the sports cars. It really is make the best product you possibly can. Don't compromise. So at the moment, we're building our first prototype. You can see on my Instagram, we just make the best thing that we can possibly do with the best materials, the best processes, and show all its USPs and to differentiate it from other cars. And that would be its looks predominantly, its performance, its figures, stats, its weight. Those, those are the main things. Yeah. Um, and we've got three different versions, as I was saying earlier on. At the moment, we've got a petrol and electric it's more than likely the petrol one would come out of AFX first than the electric. The market just doesn't seem ready for electric yet. And we did a, a check with a few people this year. Uh, what do they want? And they they wanted a petrol to start off with. So we'll try and go where the market wants it to go. We obviously have all the technologies for hybrid and electric. We've done a lot of prototypes and a lot of development work in the last five years. So we just go where... We can sustain the business. If we were going to do passenger cars, yeah, we'd be focusing pure on electric. But I think that that boat sailed now for, and the investment is just so enormous. So you're up against all the big manufacturers now. So very tough. Yeah. So we'll just stick to our core thing we've been for the last doing for the last twenty years, which is sports cars. It seems to be working. So continue with that. 
working within its confines. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's the most successful car company in its field, but it has good uh, good history and has a good future ahead of it. We do what we can. Yeah. Car companies go through ups and downs. Of course. Well, I mean, you look Aston Martin, they almost went bankrupt. So if you look at that, I mean, now, now what they're producing is completely them. different. All of them. I mean, Ferrari got bought all up by them. Fiat. Yeah, all of them. All yeah. of them have this this story of of redemption. So I mean, what is what is the 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 hardest part of doing what you're doing? It's a massive juggling act. Mm. All of it is is juggling. So you're dealing with engineering, staff, cash flow, prototypes not working, and overheads, material supply, technologies that uh, you can live with, but dominantly. I would say at this level, it's all about cash flow. Yeah. You know, if you don't have that massive chunk to throw at it and get something at the end of it, ultimately the company will die. If you don't have that ability and you don't want to lose control of the, of the company, then you have to use your cash flow unbelievably efficiently. When we're doing, say, a prototype, we literally have to cash flow everything on materials. If you're if you're outsourcing everything, then you'd have to budget many multiple times more, and that will require a higher investment. How many sales you're going to get out of the back of it is is always questionable. So, you know, an established car car manufacturer will lean on all its distributors to to get that set up. We can't do that. I'm not very good at it uh, openly. So we'll just do a fantastic prototype and demonstrate it to our perspective and closest customers and say what do you think now if you say invested 20 30 40 million quid into something you'd hope you'd get a positive response but you need to find that 20 30 million <laughs> and it's going to be subsidized for something either shareholders or a previous business or you, know, you, you did well with something and then how many people is that going to serve you know how many people does it do they want of this particular car. So a saloon car serves a large number. A sports car ultimately is a toy or a, uh, an object of desire or a piece of art. So the numbers are going to be a lot lower. How do you manage that cash flow is all about how you can make something. That's what we're doing at the moment is how do we make the body of the car to be a class 1A finish without having to do immensely complex, expensive tooling. And, yeah. you know, we, we, have, we have to develop new techniques. So it's 3D printing and rapid prototyping and, and machining parts and then laminating them with carbon um, rather than going through the whole aluminium and steel machining, tooling and stamping. You know, that, that, that is that's nonsensical. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where uh, the biggest challenges so the barriers entry for sports car market is enormous predominantly from investment uh, a good idea the right people and um ultimately are you going to be serving a market sector or not so yeah. it, it's it's immensely hard and you, you only do it in what i'm doing is only done because we love it Thank you for listening so far and before we get back to hearing more from our guests a huge thank you to those who support the podcast by listening and sharing it among friends and enthusiasts alike suppose you could help by becoming a patron by becoming a patron you can access live events and video podcasts these podcasts will always 
be and continue to be free forever. But like anyone doing something out of passion, I want to improve. Better guests, audio and book production. If you're willing to give a small monthly amount and invest in my mission to inspire, inform and entertain by getting better equipment and giving me more time to invest back into the podcast, I would be forever grateful for anything you can provide. If you're currently on your journey to explore your passion for cars and need help introducing yourself to people in the industry, patrons will also be having a one-to-one with me to help advise and see if the network I have built during this podcast can help you achieve your goals. I will leave further information in the show notes below if you want to know more about how you can help. With a chance of being sustainable, but yeah, you, you've got to be pretty mad to get into it to think it's going to make make a lot of money or fit in against the, uh, the established players. It, we can't do that. We're just we're just not interested in challenging the established players. It's, it will ultimately ultimately collapse. So we just we just do it because we love it and we enjoy it, and we don't expect to sell volumes and volumes of them. And well, the only part- the only cars we can sell a lot of are digital cars. There's <laughs> the gaming and um, yeah. and gaming licenses and model cars that will hit the masses. So we, we, we sell a lot of game licenses and we developed an, um, our own platform as well, which we're building up called Aracom. I love that. Cool. It's like a city. You can drive own cars, drive them around. So it's like our version of Roblox or... Fortnite or Call of Duty, not Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto. It's our own sort of gaming platform. You can have an Irish product and play with it and own it and drive it, meet people, which goes back to the identity thing. And that's kind of um, serving the masses with a product that's related to what we're doing here. Yeah, and it looks like so, you, you you create, yeah, it's brilliant. Right. I mean, that, that, sounds, that sounds amazing. And Arash is, Arash is a car company. It's, it's, it sounds like it's it's becoming a sort of a manifestation of yourself, really. Is if you could you look at it that way, a unique sort yeah. of wacky car company that is is doing their best. So what makes I guess what makes you and what makes the car company unique to other sport cars and and hypercars in the market? Yeah, I think that's it. It's just the story. That's that's all that makes it unique. So so why would I buy an Arash car? You won't. <laughs> for two reasons we're not a popular brand um and it's just expensive you know they are handmade and they're using exhaustive materials it only switches when you see the car in real life or at an event or outside i don't know the dorchester or Mm -hmm. one of these wonderful places in london that it's relatable at that point whoa hang on that that's an Irish car I mean, who the heck owns that? They got they've got to be out of their mind to own one of them. Why would they buy one of them instead of you know a Ferrari or a, you know a Aston Martin or a Lamborghini or a Rolls Royce? They've got to be mental. And then you you speak to that person, you realise that that person either connects with the company or like what we were doing, or just wants to be completely different because they can afford to be and they can express yeah. their identity that way. And they they love the fact that they get this you know ultimate uh relationship with the, with the company here that you're not another number you really are part of the family and of course you're getting a very extreme sports car I mean, really really extreme everything we do is lightweight and powerful uh and all the aftercare service so you, it's a lot easier to deal with myself and the team if anything goes wrong and ultimately they always go wrong 
they need they need looking after. So it, it's it's the usual upkeep of these vehicles. They are extreme machines. They need looking after. So they need cleaning, maintaining, servicing, watching over. It's, it's just it's like owning a thoroughbred racehorse or a, yeah. uh, any other hypercar. Really, they they need looking after. I really do need looking after. So you're going to get that with us. So it's that's the tipping point of when when does it when is it perceived as something of value and it has to have that reality bit seeing the cars out there um driving around being seen in certain places and not so much motor shows motor shows are sort of dying aren't they people want to see them in the wild and yeah they weren't were, were a sneak peek of, of what's going on yeah they want to see some interactivity some of it on a racing track, some of it on just a public road, you know, you don't have to go fast on the public road. It's just the object of desire or the car is out and driving around. It's really cool. Um, you know, racing track's great, but ultimately it's not a racing car that we're making. Uh, it's not entering any series. Um, it's more road car. Uh, the racing track is a, is a safe good place to demonstrate its performance but it's not an out and out racing machine and of course we can't compete with the bigger manufacturers uh, all the chassis dynamics and performance of the engines because we're not really about top speed anymore yeah it's, it's okay. not really not a priority it's about um past weight ratios and how it makes you feel and how how efficient you could be but not going down the route of you know a super light car with not much on it. We didn't want. To, we wanted to make a sturdy, solid, strong, emotional, great multi-cylinder engine car. Trying, trying to keep away from going down the four-cylinder turbo route. Um, stay at V8s, V12s. It's just, you, you, you kind of, you kind of buy with your eyes, as one of my good buddies says. If, if, if you know, if, if you like what you see in lots of cylinders and. <laughs> exhaust systems and switches and nice wheels and all the all the emotional connections like whoa look at all of that then you just don't you don't really want to see a pea shooter no it's, it's not exactly <laughs> it, it suits certain cars don't get me wrong and you look at a formula one car the engines are tiny but on a road car it's it's a, it's a balance you know you need to see enough to go woof that's really impressive rather than well it's a bit disappointing so yeah the engine bay is always the emotional area it's always important to have something that yeah, you can really connect with it's the heart of the engine at the end of the day i think your heart says a lot yeah. about a car yeah like i said it gives a lot about the identity of the car itself and when you when you said you mentioned that creating a family of, of owners and people that may create a community is, is it important to i mean how is it important to cultivate that and how do you make sure you look after your customers and your family? It's very hard. They have to have a reason to want to get involved with us. And they've got a lot of opportunities with other cars. So, And they also kind of don't want to be embarrassed of owning something they spend a lot of money on. Why would they buy an Irish product when they could buy X, Y, and Z? So I don't think it's an easy journey for anybody. But once they're on there, I, I, I suppose they like the whole journey. How do you keep them going? They come and visit regularly. They come and see you. They want upgrades on their cars. Some want to be competing or joining their friends. 
some of them just don't want to do that. They just want to have it as their thing and happy and yeah. uh, enjoying it. Some of them have got so many cars that it's just another one in their collection that they are proud of and they want to take it to places to show it off and have that sense of uh, recognition. Some of them just want to drive them and own them and hope that they outlive them as well. You know, some of them, because they're, they're, they're things that aren't disposed of. They, they just live, they outlive us all. They are objects of art and engineering that they're not disposable cars. So they'll always be around the pieces of art. Um, and, you know, when you have a piece of art, you cherish it and look after it and it becomes popular in some years and it's less popular otherwise it becomes even more popular as you're noticing with the second-hand car market and the hypercars the second-hand car market are unbelievably valuable now because you can't make them like that anymore for the big manufacturers we can because we're yeah we're a bit more exempt but it's complicated so these are objects of desire that will outlive us all uh hopefully hopefully they don't get destroyed or crashed or um just you know lost they 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 stay in collections and you look at some of the histories of bugatti and some of them were lost or forgotten and they came back to life and they become yeah. more wonderful and valuable and celebrated so it's a long journey owning a car company or running a car company or being part of a car company like this it's a long long journey it's uh, i remember when i first started the guys who were working with me said oh it's going to be your children that are going to benefit from all of this i said i'm 26 what do you mean <laughs> I'm 26. Yeah. What is this about? No, your children benefit from all of this, and I, 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 I get it. It's a multi-generational project. You're you're building something not just for yourself, but for your it's your family as well. Sharp every day. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm here Let's and now. I'm li- living in the moment. I'm not. It. I mean, what is what, yeah. what is the future? What does the future look like for a rash? Uh, what, what are you guys planning on? Because now you've got some cool sort of you mentioned hypercars and projects coming up forward. But moving past sort of that, is there a goal, an ultimate creation? You like creating things. Is there a something in your head that goes, that would be amazing if I could get to do that? I think for the next seven years, eight years, is is just our AFX hypercar. That mm. that really is it. Um, I'm 47, so I'll be in my 50s then. Uh, yeah, just really concentrating on that. You know, we have a secondary division of Rash Technologies. We do projects as well, um, engineering projects and solving problems and making parts. So that's always going to be a, a good spin-off of what we're doing. I, I think the ultimate, you know, aim is to is to make our interpretation of the ultimate car. Yeah, and that normally for me is all about lightweight beautiful looks and a high revving performing engine that's what we're ultimately heading towards probably will stay like that for a long period of time with small numbers until maybe there's a change in the car company or we go down a path of volume production or we spin off a secondary car secondary car company that's that produces a volume product may not be under the irish name it's unknown just living within here and now and getting on with the work really, which is, it's, it's unbelievable, especially when 2020, 2020 happened, it was very tough. Yeah. Really tough to try, you know, we we're in the midst of a, of the, of the AFX projects and Imperium 
and uh, you know really hard to work. We did work through towards the end of the year making composite parts, but so hard. There are a lot easier things to do in life than what what this is. <laughs> and uh, is is it and, worth is it worth it as much? That's the question. It could be it, it could be easy, but would it be as as, be, as good? Uh, I think you've got to just do what you like doing and are happy with um, to an extent. I've just chosen this path and that's it. Is it worth it? I hope so. You're always going to come out with something positive out of whatever you're doing. I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's a sure thing in any way, but I've always done that in in the past, which is, you know, some businesses don't always make sense. Yeah. And they are not perceived as the ultimate cash generator or it's the future you're going to do well out of it. I've tended to stay with businesses or brands or product to stay with it until something either works to its advantage or you can pivot it slightly and you're kind of geared up. So you wouldn't say, I'd say 40 years ago or 30 years ago, your established super sports car guys out there, they just didn't really exist, did they? No, they were the fleets and the fleets in the wind. Yeah, you'd have they're all very tiny numbers being made and why would you do it? And you look back in the history of Ferrari, you know, he wasn't making road cars. He wasn't even doing racing cars. He was working at Alfa Romeo, I think. Um, he just had this innate passion to do something. So I think that answers, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it, it's a passion, very much working hard. I wouldn't say it's fortunate enough to do anymore. I would say I'm yeah. working very hard to be able to do it which requires a lot of juggling and uh, and and thinking to solve problems so yeah you don't know until a few years time something positive for the for the masses humanity might come off the back of it some kind of technology or some kind of good thing but ultimately i'm just going to continue being the kid that likes sports cars and makes them no, brilliant. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. No keep no keep making. Though. I mean, a kid at heart, you can go with that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all we're all we're all secretly still still playing with Lego and, like you say, taking things apart just just in a different way. Hey, I'm still playing with Lego every day. <laughs> Great fun. <laughs> My kid. I know we're sort of coming towards the end here, but Rush, there's a couple of questions I like to ask the sort of geeky car questions. They're sort of your run-of-the-mill questions. And, and the first one being sort of, what is your ultimate three-car garage? My ultimate three... Well, oh, as, a, as a car maker, I'd have, to, you know, I'd have an AF10, an AFX, and an AF8. Of course, that's the Irish answer. Yes. If I want to have a, a series of the ultimate three-car garage at home, Porsche 911 Cabriolet to cruise around with, a Rolls Royce Phantom to be taken to and from the chateau and the restaurant. A fun family-ish car. I don't know. Or a... I mean, would a, would a Porsche Panamera Turbo S be something you could fit in there? Yeah, but you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that 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 one. That's like my daily With, driver. Yeah. I don't know Carrera GT. There you go, Carrera GT. Ooh. Yeah, rip around, you know, Monaco in that bit sideways action. High revving engine, just another bloke sports car. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Have, have what you want. Have what you want. You can you can sort of you can stack them on top of each other. And you can fit them in a slot. Yeah. Yeah. 
but yeah, of course, I'd have, I'd have the RF range and then the, you know, being just, just a guy that like cars. Yeah, I'd have an AF10, an AF8, and an AFX, of course. Why not? And then, um, yeah, then, uh, then a, a Rolls Royce Phantom, and a Carrera GT, and a 911 Cabriolet, and a Panamera Turbo S, of course, just to cruise around. And yeah, there, there you go. You toss, toss between those two. But yeah, you can't beat a 911 Cabriolet for. For what it is, cruising around. Yeah. What was yours then, Harry? What would you have? Oh, no one's ever asked me that question in Russia. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, 1965 Mini Cooper S. So Monte Carlo. I love those cars with a huge passion. Um, nice. A little bit of speaking about French, a little Alpine A110. I think they're for what they are. They're just a bit unique. The engine could, I'd probably swap that out, but the car itself. <laughs> I think they look superb. Um, and a McLaren 765 LT, just for what it is. And just to go completely bonkers with things. That's a really popular car at the moment, isn't it? The LT range. Massively popular, yeah. So people, people seem to like those above a Porsche and a, and a Ferrari now, don't they? I think it's just the, tun- the tunability of them. You get like 1,300 horsepower out of that V8 yeah, in, a, in a car that's got all the aero packaging as well. Yeah, carbon chassis as well. Doors that go up. McLaren badge, yeah, it was a good car. There's the, the no, I'm just a... yeah, looking at like Instagram in America, it's kind of that's their status symbol now. I have a McLaren, that's <laughs> I got a McLaren. Wow, I think you don't want a German car. No, there you go. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. They love the English brand, don't they? It's kind of replaced the Aston Martin thing, hasn't it? Yeah, like Bond, Bond's gone out the window, and then comes whoever drives a McLaren in the movies. And no one, good point, yeah. But Rash, um, I mean, if you could, if you could drive one car on any track or any road, where would you go? And what would you take? One car on any road or any track. Huh? Uh... <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. Any particular track you like the look of, or whatever you wanted to go down, or is there is there a certain car that you think would would particularly fit well, like the Nurburgring or something you want to try, like a dream drive? No, you know what. I wouldn't mind going to the Ascari track because it's quite, yeah. you know, in Mallorca. Klaus Spar owns it. You know, he's a bit, he's very similar to myself. And I would love to just rip around all day long in an LMP1 Ascari or a Lola all day long Ooh, with Lola, a Judd yeah. V10. Yeah. You know, screaming Judd V10 or a screaming V8 Judd. You know, open top helmet uh, yeah. in the sun, Mallorca. You know, rip around instructor on the on the on the intercom. Turn left. You know, turn a bit more here. Here, uh, <laughs> Sangria's waiting for you afterwards. I know you can only get to do about five minutes, Irish, with you know your age. <laughs> and. Yeah, just do yeah, do that for five minutes. I say all day. It has to be five minute slots because you've got to be so fit for an <laughs> LMP one car or anything of that nature. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty fit, but you know you have to be really fit. Uh, and yeah, that that would probably do me. I think I don't think I'd do. I would want to be in an F one car. I don't think. And that's now. Yeah, that's not. Would you make it out of it? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you have to? All the G load. Oh, that. I mean, the LMP ones are pretty hardcore. I don't know. You have to, yeah, toss up between that and a GT3 Cup Racing 911 
around Leipzig. Um, That was quite fun. I've done that before. Um, Or a GT3 RS around Leipzig because it's got a really good restaurant there. Food's important at racing tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Food and apparently drink's very important as well. Food, drink. Thank you, you've got a sink. Yeah, the toilets, you know, you want to... Freshen up, going some night. You don't want to go to like what we used to at Brands Hatch or Snetterton. It's like, whoa, are we in the jungle? I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're in a racing track. It's not, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> you got to fight, fight for a decent, fight for a decent toilet yes. trip. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so the last question I've ended is um, who, who inspires you? In today's society, a uh, difficult one because it's, it's always moving around. Uh, you know who who would you say uh, you'd, you'd call upon mentally to solve a problem? It's probably a parents. You know they're yeah. they're very okay. very successful, yeah. very trustworthy, very honest. Um, you know, really strong values. I mean, yes, I'm highly inspired by Elon Musk. I mean, another di- dyslexic character. Loves engineering and um, philosophy and uh, humanity. Been through a lot of trauma in his early days as well, not fitting in. Um, you know, moving over to America, really not having much, um, and just being entrepreneurial and looking at life totally differently. Uh, it's a truly inspirational character. Um, you know, our genius of all time, really, because he's not just about science, it's about commercial understanding and his use of the language. Seriously impressive. Yeah. You know, how he explained things and the type of vocabulary he uses is, and his tone. Seriously impressive individual. Um, Steve Jobs have been very inspired by him. Uh, you know, there's not many videos on him. I've watched as many as I can. Again, brilliant use of language, brilliant attitude. Um, multiple failures got him to where he is today. Uh, very relatable um, and uh, emotional guy. You know, the way he is all or nothing. And then, um, but Elon seems to be a lot more, um, he's just a lot more, grounded at every level he doesn't seem to have an anger or negativity issue it's all either realistic or comedy he's taking those two stances all the time everything's comedy like we did with twister with the sink let that sink in carries in the sink um it's not not about he can get away with it I think it's the yeah. fact that he just wants to do it in a way that's relatable. It's not I can do this because I can. It's um, it's it seems to have more depth to everything that's going on. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, probably probably these these characters are very very inspirational. And you know, we kind of have them fed to us through media. Of course, there's some new characters coming coming along. Um, but I say they're the most inspirational for uh, the good of humanity. That's no, it. Yeah, relentless hard yeah. work. 
always working. I think that no, great. No, Rush, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And it's been, it's been a pleasure to be able to just pick your brain and speak to you. So yeah, thank thanks. You thanks, Harry. Headspace is now becoming more critical than ever. In the past, if you wanted to work on your body, you'd go to the gym. And if you wanted to work on your brain, there was therapy. But recently, other options are becoming increasingly more popular and available. Thanks to volunteers and supporters and companies like Calm. I'll be the first to admit that having access to the privilege and being able to afford treatment has been some of the best working out I could have ever done. So thank you for Tacona, the brand set on taking the mental health conversation and breaking the taboo in the automotive industry and helping calm the campaign against living miserably by creating a Christmas raffle. By entering this Christmas raffle, it gives you the opportunity to win amazing prizes from all corners of the automotive world, from clothing, coffee and art to ride in a Porsche 959 and a private tour of Concord. So if this sounds like something you want to get involved with to enter and win these fantastic prizes, you must head over to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Dakota Automotive and give just five or more pounds to a tremendous cause. So join me by giving and helping Calm continue their work with suicide and mental illness. Plus win your share of 15 and more amazing prizes as a thank you for your generosity and support. The links will be in the show notes below. And if you have any questions, feel free to DM me or to Kona. I'm sure there'll be more than happy to help. Arash is a man that has undoubtedly followed his passion, making an experience and a product that most of us dream of creating. I know that for me, especially creating my own car company and my own cars was something that as a kid I was set on. But as time goes on, I now look at this podcast as the direction I'm going with and how I want to impact the car world through bringing you stories of the fantastic people that create the unique cars that we photograph, draw, engineer and design and take inspiration from. Arash started life as the underdog and he didn't let that get him down, he used that as his superpower and that's what found his troop. Instead of changing who he was, he doubled down on his roots and stuck into the passion that, when the time came, made him the man he is now. If you are thinking of an idea you are passionate about and believe in it wholeheartedly, stick with it and don't just stick with it, become obsessed with it. Eat, sleep and breathe that idea because it's the only way it will happen. And so with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars.